Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us. But truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. I'm grateful that you have uh, selected to listen to this message today. I've been really churning around on this issue of revival. If I'm if I'm being honest, it's been years that I've really, really hungered and thirsted after a revival. And so much has changed culturally in the United States since that hunger first was awakened in me by God. And so much has changed in the church since those initial days where I just began crying out, to God saying, Lord, I know this isn't all that you offer. Lord, I know that my status quo Christianity and my status quo experience is not your will for your people. And so years, decades ago, when I began to cry out on that, um, so much has changed. But what's amazing is that I hunger now more for true, authentic awakening and revival than I ever have before. And I mentioned in a previous broadcast that when we think of revival, our knee-jerk reaction is to think quite superficially on the issue of revival because people tend, at least in previous generations, tend to think of revival as awesome series of meetings where you know an anointed speaker brings the word, maybe we see some healings, some people get saved, or maybe even some signs and wonders. And I'm all for all of that. Obviously, that's part of the kingdom, but... Um, really when I'm talking about awakening and revival, I'm not talking about, you know, an awesome week or an awesome weekend in the church house. I'm talking about a revival that ushers in components of the kingdom of God onto planet earth's landscape that we have never seen before. The beautiful thing about this answer to, to the prayer for revival and awakening is nobody's going to have to wonder if it's being answered when it actually starts getting answered. Nobody's going to be, you know, holding meetings saying, is this revival or is this not revival? Because when God answers the, the cries of the hungry that are going up constantly and arriving in heaven as incense before the altar, uh, the Lord is not going to just subtly send, you know, a little fluffy thing down to earth to make us guess whether or not that's the answer to our prayer. It's going to be volcanic. It's going to be stunning. It's going to be um, in such a fashion that that people will literally declare we have never seen this and perhaps they will declare nobody has ever seen this because the revival at the end of the age and i make no bones about it i do believe we're living at the end of the age and i believe it's going to be connected to an outpouring of the holy spirit through a sanctified holy consecrated church and it's going to be stunning it's going to blast from the landscape status quo denominations. It's going to completely eradicate casual Christianity, and it will be the beginning of the separating of the wheat and the tares. Now, please don't email me. I know that the final separation of the wheat and tares and the goat and the sheep, that comes later on at the end of the age. But what I'm saying is prior to that happening, God is going to take the slag or the dross off of the church, and what's going to be left is going to be those that have the purified gold of the heart of God beating within their chest. And I am longing for that. If you're listening to this, you're probably longing for that. And if you're not longing for that yet, I hope that you'll join us. I hope that you'll not only long for it emotionally, but that you will um, fast and pray and intercede and press into the Lord so that um, you know the inner longing gives an outward verbal expression in prayer 
and crying out to God because he's already promised that if his people called by his names will seek his face and repent, <laughs> then he's going to heal the land. And man, if there's ever an awareness that our land needs healing, it's now. So along those lines, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, today's topic, which is revival and the need for oil. Um, I am convinced that the end time church will return to some of the foundations of the original church that we see in the book of Acts. I'm talking primarily about us um, becoming a people of the word and the spirit. And I have as a constant theme in my thought, in my writings, in my speaking, that um, most Christians have been forced to choose in their lifetime between being a word Christian or a spirit Christian. And what I mean by that is uh, we tilt towards either being people of the book, the Bible, and or we tend to be people of, of the spirit. And typically the great divorce that has occurred in the church is that where word and spirit were once um, non-negotiables for Christians um, because of a difference in approach to the kingdom and a difference of views and what the scripture teaches. There's, there's been this divorce where word is one side and spirit is the other side. And R.T. Kendall made it very popular. Dr. R.T. Kendall said, as in any divorce, the children have to pick which parent to live with. And so a lot of Christians chose the word parent and they became Bible only Christians. And then some other Christians chose the spirit parent and their Holy Spirit parent is um, what drives and leads and nourishes them. And they don't really have time for the word and the doctrine and the word people don't have time for the spirit. It's really sad because that's not the heart of God. And as a matter of fact, Jesus made it plain. He said, the father is seeking people to worship him in spirit and truth. That's the ones the father is seeking. So I want to be found by the father as a person who is um, worshiping him in spirit and truth. So what, what does this have to do with oil? Well, I, I think it has everything to do with oil. Um, the passage that I want to bring to you today, and it's not really a sermon, but it's, it's just some thoughts. It's a very familiar passage of scripture, and I'm not going to read all the verses, but in Matthew 25, Jesus gives the parable that is commonly known as the parable of the foolish virgins. And it's in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. You really should read it, and I want to apply it today. There are many, uh, there are various interpretations of the parable, but I, I believe that it has an end-time application in this arena of us needing to be people of the Word and the Spirit. And so in the parable, Jesus opens up and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So we've got to give a little context because this is different than the way we talk about weddings and engagements and stuff today. But the context is an ancient Jewish wedding. And Jesus is framing up this parable about the kingdom in the context of what it looks like for the wedding party in their relation to the groom. And of course, Jesus in this parable is going to be the groom and the wedding party is going to be uh, those that represent the church. But you're going to find out that as the present church is divided, so were the, the wedding, so was the wedding party in these, um, these bridesmaids in this parable. And Jesus says there's 10 of them and, and it's nighttime and they've got their lamps. Okay. So you've got this source of light. 
And a lamp or a lantern would be the best way to think about it. A lantern in ancient times would be fueled by olive oil on the wick and it would burn as long as there was oil. And so the setting is during this celebration, getting ready for the big wedding and the bridegroom is very different back in the day, man. In Jesus's day, the bridegroom was kind of the star. In our day, the bride is the star, but in Jesus's day, it kind of centered around the groom. And so everything's focused in context and in proximity to what the groom is doing. What is the groom saying? What is the bridegroom? Where's he operating? And so these, these 10 virgins, and that's uh, symbolic, and they probably were virgins physically, but it, it's talking about these young women who are the bridesmaid of the bride. And they take their lamps and they go to meet the groom. So the expectation is that they're, they're going to see and connect with the bridegroom as they, everybody gets ready for the wedding. Now, let me pause here for a minute because we're going to be dealing with some symbols and some metaphors here. Symbolically, in Scripture, you're going to find that light, it, it, it's actually connected to several different things, but one of the primary things it's connected to is the Word of God, the revelation of God, what God has said. The longest chapter in the entire Bible is Psalm 119, and Psalm 119 is almost exclusively about the Word of God. Almost every verse, I mean, there's 100, over 150 verses in Psalm 119, and there is this constant um, reflection on the written Word of God, the law of God, as it was called in that day. And so when I'm reading the parable of Jesus in Matthew 25, when I'm hearing about these lamps in this light, my, my heart immediately attaches itself to the concept of God's word. And you'll see why I think that's even more solid as we move through it. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 119, 105, remember this famous verse. Most of us know this verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's the way the word of God is described. It guides us. It illuminates where we're going. It shows us what's coming. It helps us to stay on the proper path. It's light. That's what the word of God is. Proverbs 6.23 says, The commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. Again, you've got the same idea expressed in the book of Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23. And then I like, again, Psalm 119 and verse 130 says this, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. And so here we have this metaphor in the parable, and Jesus has these, these bridesmaids, the, the virgins, the ten virgins, and they've all got a lamp. So the expectation is that they're going to see, but you're going to find out in a minute that having a lamp is only useful if you have oil. And I'm going to tell you what the oil represents here in a minute. And so we see it back in Matthew 25 that the parable goes on and it says of these 10 virgins, Jesus says five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. Okay, so he's splitting the group right in half. He says half of the, brides, uh, the bridesmaids were wise bridesmaids, but half of them were foolish. Well, how do we know what distinguishes between the foolish and the wise uh, virgins? He says it. He says, when the foolish ones took their lamps, they took no oil with them. They, the wise took the flasks of oil with their lamps. So Jesus is, you know, he's not drawing this thing out. He says, you got 10 virgins, you got 10 bridesmaids. Five of them were foolish, five of them were wise. The reason why five of them were called foolish is because they had a lamp, but they didn't bring any extra oil. There was enough light within the lantern 
to last for a little bit, but they didn't know how long the bridegroom was going to be in his preparation and his tearing. And so they didn't prepare the oil to keep the light burning. Um, just as light represents the word of God so often in scripture, you're going to find out oil in the Bible often is connected to the Holy Spirit and to his presence, to his power, to his giftings, to his anointings. And the probably the classic verse is Isaiah 61.1 that says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedoms, uh, freedom to the prisoners. Jesus actually announced that that verse was about him. That prophetic verse from Isaiah 61 centuries before, Jesus said, yeah, that verse is about me. I'm the one anointed with the Spirit of the Lord. I'm the one anointed to bring good news to the afflicted. I'm the one who's anointed to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. So anointing and anointing in the Old Testament was always done with oil, typically olive oil. And other occasions, the law of, of God given to Moses would, would give certain um, prescriptions for how the oil was to be made for certain anointings, but it almost always contained olive oil. And as a matter of fact, in 1 John, 1 John in chapter number two, there's two verses that talk about how this applies to me and to you. So listen to this. John wrote to his original readers, and it applies to us. He says, you have been anointed by the Holy One. You have all knowledge. And then he says in verse 27, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but his anointing teaches you about everything, and it's true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So here we have this second concept, this oil. And John's saying, and Jesus is saying, that it's connected to the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so as New Testament believers, we receive the Holy Spirit when we're saved, and then there are successive encounters whereby we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're to live our lives under the anointing and the filling of the Holy Spirit. From within, he moves without through our words, through our thoughts, through our actions, through our priorities, but there's an anointing. And so when we're thinking about the oil, we're thinking about the presence and the power. Please don't miss that. The power, the gifting, the supernatural anointing of the Holy Spirit. So let's go back to the parable. Jesus said that of the 10 bridesmaids, the 10 virgins, that they all had lamps. They all had the light. They all had the word, if we stick to the metaphor and the symbolism here, they represent that they all gave a nod to the need for light, but only half of them had the anointing oil. Only half of them had the touch. And again, if we stick to the metaphor, the symbolism there for the application of this teaching, this is the conclusion that burns in my heart. It's not enough for me to have the word. I need to have the power. I need to have the anointing. I can't just say my Bible is enough. I need to say my Bible is true and it is sufficient. But apart from the anointing oil, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to live my life in some regard foolishly. Now, I know that doesn't flatter some of you, but I want to remind you where I came from. I came from a word only camp. 
my denomination, and I used to preach this in my early days of preaching. I know I thundered this out with all confidence. All I need, bless God, is my Bible. I just need the word of God. And listen, I have not diminished at all in my uh, regard for the word of God. It will endure forever. Apart from the word of God, I don't care how much oil you have. You've got nothing to light up. If you don't have the word of God, then you don't have anything to contain the anointing in your heart. You're going to be spilling out all over the place and it's going to be a waste. And so my point is this, at the end of the age, when we're approaching revival, we need both. We need to be wise bridesmaids. We need, we're actually part of the bride. So the metaphor breaks down there. But the point being is this, is that we need the lamp and we need the oil. We need the word and we need the spirit. If all you've got is the word, then chances are you're going to eventually end up into some dry, dead, theologically um, true, but powerless way of living. Uh, Paul said it this way. I didn't, the kingdom of God is not in word. It's not in talk. It's in power. And Paul said, I didn't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I came into you in the demonstration of Holy Spirit power. And so for many of us, and I hope some of you that are listening, you, you, you're, you're so rooted in the word and I applaud that. Oh my goodness, I want people to be rooted in the word of God. But you're not pressing in for power. You're not obeying what the word actually says. The word actually says, and just read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Read those chapters, study 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and obey the commands therein. Because we believe in the word and the word is binding and the word is true. And the word tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 to pursue with desire spiritual gifts, to eagerly pursue spiritual gifts, to hunger that we might prophesy above all things. And so in that, in that list of giftings, you've got word of knowledge, word of wisdom, tongues, the interpretation of tongues, miracles, you've got healings and you've got prophecy. And for so long, I had my lantern, I had the word, but I ignored the fact that I needed the oil and the oil comes from the Holy Spirit. The oil is the anointing in the Old Testament. Anytime somebody was established to the office of a king or a priest or a prophet, oil anointing was involved. It was a touch placed upon them uh, under the instruction of God, a human being, another prophet, priest, or somebody would anoint the upcoming prophet, priest, or king. And so that anointing is significant. And friends, I will just tell you, in our day, we have far more Bible knowledge than we do anointing. And I'm a Bible guy. I've established a ministry for since 2007 called Transforming Truth that is all about Bible teaching. Check us out, transformingtruth.org. Go to our website and check it out. It's all about Bible teaching. But in my Bible study and my Bible teaching, rightly dividing the word of truth, I found out, oh my goodness, we are a generation of people that love the Bible, but we don't have oil. Now, I don't have time to go to the other side of the equation that says, what about the people that love the oil, but don't like the light? In other words, what about the people that are all about supposed Holy Ghost encounter and you know, signs, wonders, and miracles and all of the, the hoopla, but they don't know squat from the word of God? Well, that's an entirely different topic altogether. Today, I'm talking about having a lamp without oil, not oil without a lamp. And the truth is, is that if we want revival, we're going to have to have both. We're going to have to have prophets that move in the truth of God's word with the power of God. We're going to have to have teachers that rightly divide the truth, but also have an anointing upon what they teach. So it's not just mere head knowledge coming out of somebody's mouth. And so Jesus makes that distinction between the foolish and the wise and the wise ones had ongoing oil for their lamps. 
And here in verse, it's, it's in verse number five of Matthew 25. This, I think, is so relative, and I might end right, um, or relevant. I might end on this thought. It says, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. So here, here we go. So in this week-long festivity of the marriage festivals in ancient Israel, the bridegroom's the center, and everybody's waiting on the bridegroom, and the bridesmaids, they all have their their lanterns, and they've got enough oil, it's going right now, but the the bridegroom, the groom, who represents Jesus, he was delayed, he tarried, he didn't come back immediately. And the Bible says that the, the virgins all became drowsy and slept. They fell asleep at the wheel. They got tired in their waiting. They gave into the natural and lost their anticipation of the return of the bridegroom. And so in doing so, they became drowsy. They fell into a slumber. They fell into the, into the sleep. And um, what they didn't know is the bridegroom was about to appear while they were asleep. Now, friends, I don't want to be critical because I love the church. I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher. I love Christians. I thank God for the grace that welcomed me into his bride and into his family. But I'm also one who's not going to deny the truth that we are a slumbering, sleepy church that we are living in a day where people have fallen asleep to the truth of God's word, what that word contains, what it says about the now, what it says about what's coming. We've fallen asleep. And then those who might be informed about the word have fallen asleep to their need for power. They are not operating in power. They are operating in a stupor. They are operating in a spiritual slumber. They are asleep and they don't know it. They're asleep holding their lantern, but what they don't realize is that the flame has gone out. Why? No oil, no anointing, no touch of the Holy Spirit on what they have believed. And so the light has gone out. Therefore, there's no power. Where are the signs? Where are the wonders? Where are the miracles? You know, I I hear a lot of people say, well, some of that stuff's fake. You know, I agree with you. I think some of it's fake, but that doesn't mean all of it's fake. And if I have to wade through the part of it that is fake to, to be able to connect to the part that's not fake, it's worth it to me because the Bible says it's going to be available at the end of the age in a way that will blow our minds. But if we don't have oil in our lamps, we won't see it. We'll be the sleeping virgins when the bridegroom comes back. And so in the, in, back in Matthew 25, it, the bridegroom was delayed, but then he comes back. He comes back and all the virgins wake up and the foolish virgins said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise virgins answered saying, there won't be enough for us and you. So you need to go to those who sell and buy oil for yourselves. Do you see what happened? The groom shows up. It's time. And those that didn't have oil are saying, hey, we need some of what you've got. And the ones that have the oil and the lantern are saying, yeah, I don't have any extra for you. I've had, to, I've had to store up mine. I was prepared. I had the oil so my flame doesn't go out. Now, the ones that were foolish are now having to go and buy oil in the parable. So what happens? Well, they go and buy, and as they do, the bridegroom comes, and those virgins that were ready, that had the oil in their lantern and oil ready for when the previous oil ran out, they, they, in other words, they, they had anointing because they prioritized the oil of the Holy Spirit. And so they went into him. Jesus says that, that those who were ready went in with the groom to the marriage feast. That's in Matthew 25, verse 10. 
and the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I don't know you. And then Jesus says, as application in the parable, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So as we conclude our thoughts on this, what's the point? Well, the point is this. The only ones that were welcomed into the, the, the intimate place, not physically or sexually intimate, but in the parable, the place of the presence of the groom, were those bridesmaids in the wedding party that had both the lantern and the oil. And while the ones who didn't have enough oil went out scrambling trying to find what they had lacked, it was too late. Why? Because the bridegroom had said, now is the time. So what application does that have for you and what does it have for me? Well, we know that Jesus, the bridegroom, is coming back. He's coming back to get his bride. And you know what he expects from all of us? To be those type of Jesus followers that are walking in the light of the word and operating in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not a negotiable thing. It's not enough for you to say, well, I have the Holy Spirit because I am sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Well, I'm glad that that's true. Hallelujah. I'm glad that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit the moment that we believe. But him being omnipresent is not the same thing as him having presiding presence in your life and my life. We need the anointing. We need the oil. And it's on us to prepare for that. You know, the hunger and thirst is the key qualification for being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is not an option for those charismatic Christians. While our denomination, whatever your denomination might be, we don't prioritize that being filled with the Spirit. Well, let me just say this boldly. If we're not filled with the Spirit, we're walking in disobedience. And whereas I would not be one to say, well, if, if you're filled with the Spirit, you're walking around talking in tongues all the time. That, you know, a lot of people minimize the filling of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they just make it all about tongues. Well, friends, it's so much more intense and deep and important than just praying in tongues or speaking in tongues. The reality is we need to be filled with the Spirit because He wants to control what comes out of our mouths. He wants to control how we think. He wants to guide what we do with our money and our time and our gifting and our ability. The Holy Spirit wants to anoint our relationships. The Holy Spirit wants to cultivate our hungers so that when Jesus does come back, we're not off somewhere in left field hungering and thirsting after stuff that doesn't even matter. Worshiping at the altars of our culture, bowing down with all of the best of our lives at things that don't have any eternal significance. And so when I'm a, as a believer, and as I approach the end of the age, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I want my Bible to be more true to me than it's ever been before. I want to know it more deeply. I want to have it at work in my life in ways that I never have before. I have not finished understanding the book. The book reads me. I don't just read it. The book reads me. And the author of that book is really who I'm going after. And so I do that through a, um, a prioritizing of the written word of God. But none of that is going to be much use to me if I'm doing it independently of the work of the Holy Spirit. We need oil in our lamps. And friends, I will encourage you, if, you are, if you're drawn to this idea but you don't know what it means, 
I'm not going to give you a one, two, three step process of how to have your lamp filled constantly with oil. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to point you to the one who is the oil. I'm going to appoint or I'm going to direct you to go to the Lord himself and say, God, I can't live apart from your anointing anymore. I can't live in my own power anymore. Lord, I am a theologically grounded person, but I don't have any power in my life. And because I don't have the anointing in my life, I see very little of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. You see, the anointing oil not only brings the power of God, the power of the Spirit, it brings the fruit of the Spirit. And so we can't go another day without prioritizing oil in our lamps. And if we want revival at the end of the age, mark my words, it's going to come through individuals and churches that no longer choose between word and spirit. It's going to come. Revival is going to happen among those and through those that prioritize the word and spirit equally. We need both. Don't let anybody force you to choose between your Bible and and the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit, God has ordained that we would be people of both. That's all I've got time for today on Mavericks and Misfits. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you'll tune in again, and we will see you next time. God bless. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.